Revving up your engine, listen to her howl and roar. Metal under tension, begging you to touch and go. Highway to the danger zone. Ride into the danger zone. Highway to the danger zone. Going to take you right into the danger zone. If you lived through the 80s, you probably know what movie that was the theme for. Kenny Loggins' song, Danger Zone, theme for the movie Top Gun in 1986. It is dangerous to fly a fighter jet. You have to do everything just so to be successful and to make it through missions in God's providence. It takes thought and preparation and practice all according to how the plane is designed and to the laws of nature like gravity. Gravity is a good servant. You don't want to be at its mercy. You do your own thing flying a fighter jet and eventually you will crash and burn. And today we want to think about something that's far more dangerous than flying a fighter jet. We are entering the danger zone. You didn't, we, we've already entered the danger zone this morning. And the danger that I'm talking about is entering into God's presence. That might be a new thought for many of us. Worship is dangerous. Worship is dangerous. Solomon warns us today of another symptom of life in a fallen world. And the symptom he's addressing is being flippant with God. Not treating God as God. With our actions and our words, our flowing from our thoughts. The world certainly is flippant. With God, rebellious against God. But if we're not careful, we too can be flippant with God. We can walk without a fear of God. We can have no reverence and respect and awe of God. We can be man-centered in our thinking and think this is about us. And one verse... In Ecclesiastes addresses that in verse 1. And today I want to talk about what the main thing I just want us to think about, and maybe it's a new thought, is the danger of entering into God's presence. In verse 1 we see a command and we see some instruction on entering into God's presence. And this is a command and a warning that's much needed today. I, I have to tell you... I, I've been pondering this since before we left on vacation. And especially since I've come back and been working on it this week. It's a joyful thing to have the truth of God. 
It's a blessed thing. It's a dangerous thing if we take it lightly. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Main point, main thing. We're just looking at verse 1. We must be careful when entering into God's presence in worship by due preparation beforehand and by respecting God's Word. We must be careful when entering God's presence in worship by due preparation beforehand and respecting God's Word. I want to talk to you about two things. There'll be the danger of entering God's presence and the design of entering God's presence. From verse 1 this morning. But first, the danger. Look what he says. Look what um, Solomon says in verse 1. Guard your steps. So we walk around watching our feet. You're going to bump into a lot of stuff if you do that. What does that mean? How many of your parents' kids have ever said to you, you better watch your step? Now what does it mean? You're in danger. Cindy pointed out one, maybe it was used with her. You're walking on thin ice. Or your own thin ice. What does it mean, watch your steps? Why would Solomon say, watch your steps? Guard your steps. Well, what he's trying to say is he's giving us a warning in the face of danger. He's communicating a warning. The Net Bible brings it out clearly. It just says, be careful what you do. Now think about that. Guard your steps means be careful what you do. Be careful in how you approach, in how you walk. And in the Bible, a lot, walking is life. Like, our walk is our life. It's how we live. And Solomon is saying, watch how you walk. Watch how you live. Be careful what you do. In general, it's a good thing, right? But there's a specific application here. Now watch it. Guard your steps or be careful what you do. Watch out when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Be careful what you do when you go to the house of God. What does Solomon mean by house of God? Well, he, he meant the temple, right? The temple was the place of God's manifest presence among His people. It was a place designed by God. You see God's presence with His people in the garden. Man falls into sin, kicked out of the garden, right? God is holy. He can have no participation in or fellowship with sin. He must judge it. But He's had a plan of redemption all along that He is working out. And His plan is to dwell with His people as their God and them being His people. So the fall immediately in Genesis, the gospel is promised in 3.15. You see Jacob dreaming a dream and then saying, this is Bethel, the house of God. Why? It was the place that God had revealed Himself and communicated Himself to him. You go down the line through Moses and you get the tabernacle, which is basically just a mobile temple. And in that tabernacle, there is a place called the Holy of Holies, which is 
where the manifest presence of God was among His people. If you look at a diagram of the camp of Israel, you'd have all of the tribes of Israel around the temple. And in the temple complex, you have outer courts, and then you have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies, where God's presence, manifest presence, dwelt above the mercy seat. His throne, His footstool among His people. So he, but Solomon lives in a time where we've got the brick and mortar temple there where God you know, dwells with His people and, and communicates from there. There's only one person that can go into the Holy Holies, into God's presence, over the mercy seat, where the ark is, once a year on the Day of Atonement, and it's the high priest. And he had to go in exactly as God had laid out in His Word with the blood of the sacrifice to place it on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. What would happen if any other person just sauntered into the Holy of... Hi, God! How you do? Toast, right? Over. Why? Because God is holy. And therefore, it's called the Holy of Holies. And anything God touches becomes Holy. Solomon is saying, beware, guard your steps when you go into the presence of God or when you go to the house of God. And the reason it is dangerous is because God is there and He is holy. What did Isaiah say that he saw when he saw the Lord on the throne and the angels encircling the throne? And what did the angels say? Love, love, love. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Almighty, almighty, almighty. All that's true. But they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And saying it three times is a way of emphasizing it in Hebrew. Not just holy. Not just holy, holy. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the only reason the angels could be in His presence and surrounding His throne, these are the holy angels who never fell into sin. They are pure so they can be there in His presence ministering to Him. What does it mean that He's holy? That's a whole sermon series, right? I think maybe there's still another book about the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul on the table. But there's a couple of aspects of holiness and the first one is separate, other, Different. God is above and different and other than anything else in all creation. And then there's a, a purity aspect of it. So in his, in his holiness, in His purity, He's unlike any other. God is holy. He is, yes, He's righteous and just, and those are related. They're not the same thing. I struggle to know how much to say this morning, but to... To just to put it before you, God is not righteous and holy and just because He measures up to a certain standard. He is the standard who has given His law so that we will know what righteousness and holiness, what holiness is. How to be holy because He is holy, 1 Peter. But God is holy. He is other. He is pure. He must judge sin. Only righteousness can come into His presence and we know the high priest, all that's fulfilled by Jesus and everything in the Old Testament is a picture of the reality coming in Christ. 
But the Holy of Holies was a copy of God's throne room in heaven. And the ark was His footstool, the place of His special presence with His people that the high priest could only go into. And that ark could only be carried by the Levites with the special poles. And all that's according to God's instruction. Don't you see, as you read the Old Testament, it's important. Look for Christ as you read it, but you'll see that every aspect of the way God is to be worshipped is outlined by Him in His Word. And any approach into His presence had to be done exactly as He had laid it out in His Word. He didn't leave His people to guess. Because it's dangerous to enter into the presence of God if you're not holy. There's some Old Testament examples of people who died because they weren't careful when they entered into God's presence. They weren't careful when they went to the place of His presence. We'll talk more about the temple later in case you're wondering and saying there's much more you should say about that. I understand. I'm trying not to keep you here till 3 o'clock. But there's some Old Testament examples of people who were flippant with God. And, and, and some in their own person, not necessarily it's other people's fault. And there's a lot more examples we could give. I'm just going to give you a couple. Uh, I'll let you go read about it later. Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10. They decided they could enter into God's presence the way they thought was right. Taking not fire from the altar, but strange fire. They didn't come into God's presence according to the way that He had laid it out in His Word. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, priests, maybe drinking a bit. Speculation. Part of the Word. Part of what prohibitions that come out of that. But they decided to take strange fire into the presence of God. They decided to worship God any way they thought was right. They decided they, because they were priests, they could just go into God's presence. And really, it's not that big a deal. What happened to Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire before the Lord? Toast. Fire from heaven. They had an interaction with, they had a special experience with God. Not one you want to have. This is what God said to Moses to tell Aaron in response to his judgment falling on Nadab and Abihu because they approached him in a way not according to his word. He says this, now listen, God says, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. We must come His way. And in the Old Covenant, that was you know, through the priests and the high priests. And the high priest was the only one who could enter into God's presence. And it had to be according to God's Word. And Nadab and Abihu decided they could do whatever they wanted to. They could worship God any way that seemed right to them. And they paid for that. How about Uzzah? 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13. David is returning the ark to Jerusalem, right? And I know they used to carry it on poles, the Levites carrying it, but we got these new carts. 
We'll put the ark on a new cart. We have a better way than what God has. So we're going to bring it back on a cart. And on the way back, it hits a bump. And the oxen stumble, right? And Uzzah, all Uzzah did was reach out to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall off the cart. But he came into contact with holiness by touching it. And what happened to Uzzah? Judgment. He died. Why? Because God is mean? No, He is holy. He is holy. And if the Levites had been carrying the ark on the poles, none of that would have ever happened. And David got mad at God for a little while, didn't he? He realized it was his fault. And then the next time they brought the ark into Jerusalem, how did they do it? The way God said to do it. And nobody else died. But you see, God is holy. He can't be approached in just any old way. He can't be worshipped in just any old way. But He has laid out in His Word how He can be approached and how He should be worshipped. And that's what we have to listen to. And I can hear some people saying now, yeah, but that was Old Testament, as though that matters. But let me give you a couple of New Testament examples. How about Ananias and Sapphira who decided they could do whatever their own way with their giving? They give half and say it was a whole. No big deal. Yeah, it kind of was, wasn't it? Now, they didn't have to give anything. And they could have said, you know, we sold our property and we're giving half to the service of the Lord. But they were glory hounds and they wanted to have credit for giving the whole thing when they really wasn't giving the whole thing. Drop dead. Judged. Drop dead. Right in front of the Peter. And Ananias first, and then Sapphira comes in. He said, is this what happened? And you give it? Yes, that's what happened. The feet that carried your husband out is going to carry you out. Boom, she drops dead. <coughs> Strict justice. How about the believers in Corinth? And I'm going to stop with this one. This one's sufficient to make the case, Okay. There were a number of believers in Corinth who had turned the Lord's Supper into some sort of banquet and party. They had decided that they could celebrate the Lord's Supper any old way they wanted to. They could worship God any old way they wanted to. And Paul is writing to correct their abuses of the Lord's Supper and telling them they have homes to eat pig out in and homes to drink in. When they come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they need to do it the way He has laid out in His Word and recognizing the body and all of those things that are there. But my point is to show you that New Testament, God is still the same God and He is still a holy God. And when they abuse the Lord's Supper, which is part of worship... It says this in 1 Corinthians 11.30. Now watch this. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Some had died because they decided they could worship God their own way. They decided they could do the Lord's Supper whatever way seemed right to them. They weren't careful in their worship. They were, in a sense, approaching God, the holy God, with strange fire. And grasp this. This is New Testament. God judges His people. Sometimes He judges His people with death so that their souls will be saved. He is still holy and righteous and just. And it says this. Why? What? Abuse of the Lord's Supper. Worshiping your own way. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
This is why we're careful to fence the table and ask unbelievers not to partake. This is why we're careful to try to instruct you on what we're doing when we take the Lord's Supper because we want to do it the way God has laid out in His Word. This is why we only do certain things in worship because we're trying to set forth a worship service and that honors God and is according to His Word. We don't want to pollute His worship. We don't want to bring in man's inventions into his worship. We want to do things the way God has said to do them. Are we perfect? No. Think about this. How many of us would be dead if God was not merciful? (laughs) Ian's hand went way up in the booth back there. I'm not going to say whether or not I agree with that. No. (laughs) Teasing you, brother. Um, All of us probably. How many of us have been flippant with God? How many of God... Think about this. In, in singing or, or Lord's Supper or our giving, how many of us are just mindless with it? Or are flippant with it? I mean, we'd all be dead if God wasn't merciful. Not because of our sin in general, but, but because of our flippancy in approaching Him in worship. I mean, this is in God's providence that I'm at this verse when we have just begun a study in, begun a study in worship. We didn't plan that, that's just the way it worked out. And all you've missed is the introduction. So come on in on Wednesday night and we'll get going. You haven't really missed anything. But God's worship is important. It's fundamental. It's foundational. Why did Israel go into captivity and Judah? Because they had polluted God's worship. They were worshiping idols and following idols and obeying idols. To the extent that they were sacrificing their children. So things would go well with them. None of that's going on these days, is it? Calvin said this. Listen, some of y'all don't like John Calvin because you believe lies about him. There's a lot of misinformation out there about John Calvin. One of the greatest scholars I've ever read about, a man who could stand in the pulpit and, and, and translate Hebrew and Greek into French and preach from the original text. Brilliant. You don't have to agree with him about everything. And he didn't. And, well, I need to stop. Very important, much used, just like Luther. Be sure your church history is good before you go disregarding people. Because he's blamed for a lot of stuff he didn't do. Anyway, Calvin said this, I, also, I have also no difficulty in conceding to you that there is nothing more perilous. Now that is a strong statement, isn't there? There is nothing more perilous to our salvation than a distorted and perverse worship of God. (laughs) I mean, I was just pondering that this week. And think about, coming back from this a little bit, God's presence brings both blessing and danger. Blessing if we enter His way. Danger if we ignore His way. He has designed a way for us to enter and Solomon warns us not to ignore it and he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you come into God's presence. When we gather for worship, 
We gather together and we praise Him, but we are gathering mysteriously in His presence and our worship reaches the very throne room of God. We need a God-centered approach. So look at the second point. I'll do this quickly. The design of entering God's presence in the second part. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now watch. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Okay, so to draw near to listen is better than coming in in ignorance and doing wrong. You remember, foolishness is rejecting God. It's, it's not, you know, it, it's rejecting God in His ways and walking our own ways, basically. So to come in with a heart of listening rather than a heart that's just doing its own thing and not even know we're doing wrong. He says, to draw near to listen is better. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, I, I think, has probably got this down what it means. Because in the you know, Hebrew mind, to listen is not just to hear God's Word, but it's to obey it. We hear, we really hear when we get it and understand it and put it into practice. The, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says it's better to draw near in obedience. Obedience to who? To God. It's better to draw near in obedience to God than to offer the sacrifice or to draw near in ignorance and make mistakes and sin, maybe without knowing it. We draw near to listen to and obey the Word of God, and we draw near in a way that is shaped by the Word of God. That's what it means to draw near to listen. So in other words, we're to have a Word-shaped and a Word-saturated worship. Draw near in obedience rather than ignorance. Why? Because it's dangerous to enter the presence of God. So we want to be sure we are entering God's presence the way He has put forth in His Word. See, we're so used to free-for-alls in America. We're so used to doing our own thing. So much of the church goes out and sees what the, the community wants and shapes its service to meet what unbelievers want to find in the church. And I'm telling you, that is not God's way. That's a man-centered approach. A God-centered approach is, God, how would you have us together? What would you have our worship to, to look like? How would you have us approach you? So that we don't just do it safely. We do it joyfully and gratefully and in a way that He will bless and shape us and make us into what He wants us to be. See, we don't need to draw near in ignorance, but with understanding. We need to draw near in obedience, having listened to the Word and listening to the Word. And our main purpose for coming here is yes, to sacrifice ourselves to worship God and to hear from Him so that we'll be shaped by His Word. Everything else is dressing for that. His Word going forth and building His kingdom. So draw near in knowledge. The fools don't know. You know, Scripture says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Why? Because it is an opposed to the way God would have 
us to operate. That's what Nadab and Abihu found. They found out that the way that seemed right to them... Now, am I, listen, wait. Let me just stop. Am I saying God's going to kill you if you don't come here to worship in exactly all the way, thinking exactly? We'd all already be dead. But the point is, He's made a way for us to approach Him, and we need to listen to that. See, want of knowledge... Challen Dalage said this about the, the ones that are drawing near in ignorance. He said, they said, want of knowledge brings them to this, that they do evil. They are ignorant of the right mode of worshiping God, so they come in the wrong way, and they reap the results. They just brought their sacrifices the way they thought was right, and that was a dangerous thing to do. God has designed and revealed His way that we can draw near, and it's in one book. This tells us how to worship God. So the only thing this, this verse has done for me again this week, and what I'm asking you to let it do for you, is just to reconsider worship. Reconsider why we're here. Reconsider why we do the things that we do. Reconsider what is most important. Because sometimes we elevate lesser things to the most important things. And we shouldn't. Do that. We need to make sure we approach God God's way. The high priest could only enter once a year and he did that with a trembling confidence. If you think that wasn't scary. He did it according to God's plan. Nadab and Abihu didn't and they, they were toast. Well, you might be saying to me, I just, I don't know, I'm guessing. Well, we don't have a temple. Therefore, none of this stuff applies to us. Well, that's wrong for a lot of the reasons I've stated already, and you can see that from 1 Corinthians, how coming into God's worship the wrong way had netted sickness and death for some of them as they abused the Lord's Supper. We have New Testament examples. But what was the Old Testament uh, temple? But a shadow of the heavenly reality and a shadow of the reality to come in Christ. And what did Jesus mean when He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days? He was talking about His body. Not that brick and mortar building. They misunderstood Him. And fast forward. Who are we in Jesus? But the temple of the living God. The dwelling of God. The people who are being built together as living stones into a house of God. We do have a temple and it is Jesus and it is us in Him and God dwells in us and He not only calls us to worship Him in our daily lives, which is true, that doesn't cancel out His call for us to worship Him one day a week in special assembly. And to know that our worship takes us into His very presence. You can read about that in Hebrews 12, we Mount Zion with the angels worshiping around the throne with all of the saints who have lived and who are living. But we do have a temple. We are the temple. And God ushers us into His special presence when we gather to worship Him. And we need to be careful when we do so. Not such that would paralyze us in fear so that we wouldn't come. That would be a violation of His day in worship if you didn't come. But so that we remember that He's holy 
and remember that He has revealed His ways and we seek to worship Him according to His Word. Listen, we can come into His worship and we can come into His presence confidently in Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? The temple pictured this. That our sins had separated the holy God from the people. The people outside, God inside. There had to be, and the sacrifice pictured the way in. There had to be a sacrifice to deal with that separation. To deal with the sin that separates God from man and causes God to have to judge man. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a Lamb of God that was the fulfillment of all of those lambs that were required to be sacrificed. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Speaking of Jesus. So Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that. We can come confidently because we know that Jesus bore our sins. We sung earlier. That He is the Lamb of God. Christ came to save His people. He lived in perfect conformity to His own law to establish a perfect righteousness. Then He took our guilt upon Himself and died on the cross, suffering not just a horrible physical death, but the wrath of God due the sin of His people. He went through the grave. Yes, He was buried. He was under the power of death for a time. And He was raised the third day victorious over sin and death. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift if you will trust and receive Him. And then we, we are beckoned to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. So just in general, in our daily lives, the way is open for us. The, the, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place torn in two from top to bottom. The access is made and it is in Jesus. So we come every day into His presence confidently because we're trusting in Christ. The Scripture says, God so loved the world, kids, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And it's through trusting in Him, receiving Him, believing in Him as your Savior that you are saved. So we can come into God's presence on a daily basis confidently because of Christ. We can come on a weekly basis in His worship confidently. We can come joyfully because of His grace. We can come expectantly. Listen, when you are coming to the, to the worship of God, come expectant to hear God's Word. Don't make it about you and your experience. Please don't do that. Sometimes... Worship can be joyful and sorrowful and everything in between and be in spirit and truth. Sometimes God is crushing us during worship to rid us from an idol or deliver us from a sin. Sometimes He's refreshing and renewing. And so we'll have mountaintop experience and valley experience in worship and all of it is part of the plan of God. We can come expectantly to hear His Word. We come submissively though. Because we need to come Jesus' way. Jesus is on, said this in John 4. He said, the hour is coming. And I love the Samaritan woman passage. And I don't have time to go into it. You go read that yourself. But in, cha in chapter 4, in talking to her, he said, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers... Okay, if they're true worshipers, they're what? False worshipers. Just to clear that up. Not all, not all worship is acceptable to God. 
When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is speak, seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him worship in, must worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean, truth, according to His Word? We must worship Him in spirit, from the heart, with joy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the gospel and His grace, because of Jesus, all that's true. But we also have to do it in truth. We do it according to what He's laid out in His Word. So I just want to end today, and, and I need to start wrapping up, but I want to end just give you a few suggestions as, as we come to corporate worship as New Testament believers, how can we apply what Solomon was challenging us with and challenging the original audience, you know, be careful going to the house of God because God's there, you know, and all the way down to our day when we gather. See, I want you to have a bigger picture of worship. Our worship is not just vibrating off the ceiling when we gather. It's going into the throne room of God. Your sacrifice of praise makes it to the throne of God. That needs to be something we think about. And not just do it flippantly. Passionate, joyful, truthful, all of that. Yes, sometimes sorrowful. Sometimes we can barely sing. We're going through a tremendous trial, but we're here and we're worshiping God. We're tired, but we're here. We're, we're, we're going through a trial, but we're here. We're joyful, but we're here. We're here offering to God a sacrifice. Sacrifice would intend that it is not easy. So I'm going to give you a few ways to watch your step to guard your steps, to be careful when you come to worship. One, prepare your hearts beforehand. What does that mean? Do it individually in families. That simply means to pray for your worship. To pray and prepare. Think ahead of time of what you're going to do. And pray into that. You're coming to worship God in His presence. So certainly you want to prepare for that. How might you do it? Pick an attribute of God. Today it was holy is the main thing. And just remember and think about that. God, You are holy. God, You are righteous. God, You are merciful. God, You are just. Help me to enter into worship Your way and to offer You praise in the power of Your Spirit. Fathers, lead your families in preparation to come to worship. Don't just saunter through the door, having not thought about it. Now listen, if, if God's providence of that week, you know, I know it can be a battle in the car with your kids on the way. To, I'm not saying don't come to worship unless you do it just right. But I'm just telling you how to prepare and it, have it be more meaningful. And one of the ways is to prepare your hearts beforehand. And fathers, mothers, if single mother with children... Lead your children in this. Hey, kids, I want to ask you to do me a favor. If your, kid, if, your, if your parents hadn't helped you prepare for worship before you get to worship, maybe when you're home, even if you're in the car, say, hey, can we prepare for worship? I'm going to get... Parents will say, shut up, don't tell them that. <laughs> Remind your parents. We need to prepare for worship. Well, what we're doing, we need to remember who God is and why we're going into His house. And that He is sufficient for our every need and He has sacrificed His Son for us so that we can be one people and worship a holy God. So prepare before you come in. I used to have a pastor, brother, elder, friend 
who would always ask us, did you worship God before you came to worship God? For some reason we think we can just unpreparedly saunter into His presence and everything's going to be okay. I'm not saying He's going to kill you if you don't do that, but I'm just saying there's a, a way to, to really worship Him in spirit and truth. Secondly, now this is a hard one for us, and they all are really. Come to serve instead of to be served. Come to offer your sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God no matter how you feel. Come to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which should be our daily reality, Romans 12, and especially our reality when we come to worship. Don't make the primary focus you and how you feel about it. And God's at work in us always, and most growth comes through discomfort. <laughs> what I'm saying is focus on Him. God, you do whatever it is your will in me. Help me to offer you a sacrifice of praise every day and then especially when we're gathered on your day in special worship. Focus on God. Seek to give Him glory in accord with His Word. He will reward you with growth as you deny yourself and join in with your brothers and sisters and give praise to your glorious and gracious and fearful God. So prepare your hearts and come in as a servant. Worship is us serving God, right? And offering a sacrifice of praise to His name. And yes, He works in us through it, but we get off when we think everything's supposed to look like what we would want it to look like. And if we just think about that and all the different people in here, it'd be kind of hard to do. But if, you know, if we're gathering on His day and reading His Word and singing His praise and praying to Him, and preaching His Word, and responding to that Word, if we're giving, we're worshiping God in spirit and truth. And that has many faces. Worship is not about us and our experience. It's about God and His glory. Thirdly, if the primary purpose according to Solomon is to draw near to listen, please strive to remember what you hear. You'll be held responsible for everything you hear, and I don't want to dull it down for you. I'm not trying to spoil your fun. But God ministers to us when we feel it and when we don't. If we're in the context of His Word goes forth, He is ministering to us. So strive to remember what you hear, to understand it, to obey it. Ask questions if you need to. Take notes. Discuss it. Pray over it. Let the conversation dwell on it. After, don't quickly go to the game or whatever. Think about it. Talk about it. Meditate on it. Take notes. Go back and review those notes. Treat it like it's God's Word. And last thing I would say is remember both the danger and the grace. Because listen, we don't want to be judged because of being flippant with God. And, and, and that can be discipline. Is there maybe another better word you want to look at? But, but we want to be loving God and honoring Him in our daily lives by living according to His Word. And then on His day, when we gather for worship, we want to be loving God and honoring Him and worshiping Him according to His Word. 
and knowing it's acceptable because of His grace in Christ Jesus. So it is, that, it is the danger zone, but there's a safe way and it's His way. And there's a fruitful way and it's His way. There's a meaningful way and it's His way. Remember both the danger and the grace. Don't forget the danger. Don't forget He's holy. Don't forget what it took to give you access to the throne of grace and it's the death of the very Son of God. I'll end with this. Hebrews 12, 29. Therefore let us, now watch this. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and, that, and let us offer to God, look at that, acceptable worship. What does that mean? There's acceptable worship and non-acceptable worship. And he defines it a little bit, which means with the fear of God, which is a lot of what we're talking about. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now, of all the ways he could have described God, it's quoting the Old Testament, by the way. New Testament, ministering to believers, he says, our God is a consuming fire. Wow. So yes, worship does take us right into the danger zone, but we are safe and should be filled with both awe and joy as we faithfully approach God the Father through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God in our worship. When we come His way, we are safe and enjoy a foretaste of the eternal joy that will be ours in the new heavens and the new earth. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All because of our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that both sides of that would be truth in our hearts, that life is shaped by you, Lord Jesus, that it is about you, that it is for you, that it is shaped by your word, that our lives daily and our worship daily and our lives as we enter into your presence through corporate worship on the Lord's day would be just that. Life is Christ, and therefore to die is gain. Why? Because you have defeated death for us. You have taken the curse for us. You have satisfied justice for us. All of our sins are forgiven. We are clothed in your righteousness. We are your children, Father, if our faith is in your Son. So those who don't know you this morning, I pray that you would save them and draw them to faith. Those of us who do, that you would grow us in grace. And that our worship would be ever growing and more and more pure because it's ever more and growingly what your word requires of us. And that is not boring. It's gloriously simple in one sense and gloriously God-honoring, exemplified by your Son. So help us, Lord, to love you, to honor you, to delight in you, to fear you, to stand in awe of you, to be careful in our approach of you, that we do it through your Son, that we do it by your Spirit, that we do it according to your Word. Accomplish your purpose in every heart. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.